Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Laura Greer. And before we get to Laura, I have a few announcements. Our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com, and there you'll find some photos of the guests, some articles that they've written, some articles that I've written, uh, some links to their social media, some links to our social media. And by that, I mean, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. I'm sorry, X. Uh, <laughs> we have a Facebook page. We are also on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you listen to us on those streaming devices, which most of you do, I ask that you please give us a good rating, maybe give us a thumbs up, uh, anything, say a few nice things. That helps more people find the show by boosting our presence there, and that'd be a cool thing for you to do, and I would appreciate it. If you might be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody you'd be right for the show, or you want to write me and ask me travel questions, or tell me nice things, or say how cool I am, or whatever you want to do, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, this is the second appearance for Laura Greer, a friend of mine who I met when she did the show, gosh, it was 2015, December of 2015. So a little over eight years ago that she did this show, and uh, we, there was no way to cover how many places she's been in the last eight years, so we focused on some of the more recent trips. She is a photographer, not only for uh, private things like weddings or uh, fashion photo shoots and things like that, but uh, for magazines and things like uh, National Geographic, and she can cover it all. But uh, a big-time traveler. And, of course, travel is her, uh, her favorite thing to do, like it is with me, and she loves to explore. She was the ringleader of the um, gorilla trekking trip that I went on in 2019. She organized that whole thing, which I was very fortunate enough to join her and her friends on. And uh, we talk about that for a little bit. But uh, she's also an entrepreneur. In uh, the last few years, she has started uh, a hat company called Andiana Hats. And we'll have a link to it uh, at Travel Tales Podcast. And um, she had some travels to Peru. And in her journeys there, she uh, saw the local women, the native women um, in the uh, mountains of Peru, and decided to help them by forming a business. And, you know, she always loved hats. And uh, they were craftsmen and artisans, craftswomen, I don't know, craftspeople and artisans in that country that she worked with and started a business where they create the hats down there and they ship them up here and uh, Laura sells them around the world and uh, they're beautiful hats, Andiana hats, and we'll talk about uh, the genesis of her starting that business and uh, keeping it going all the way through COVID and everything else. It's been quite a journey and we actually do this interview at her hat store in Los Angeles which um, she was moving on. It was always a temporary lease. Now she does uh, going to focus on mostly pop-ups and uh, her online business, which is uh, very successful. So uh, it's great, and I've got a chance to meet a lot of people who've ended up being guests on this show. I, I met them through Laura. So she's a great friend to have, and uh, I was very fortunate that I got a chance to sit down with her and uh, carve out an hour in her very busy schedule that uh, that she could do this, and she was feeling a little under the weather, so it was nice of her to be able to uh, sit down and just share some of her journeys that she's been on in the last, oh my gosh, eight years, and she's had a lot of them, and she has many more to come. So it's a big year for her coming up, and we get to hear about it right now. So without further ado, here's my return conversation with Laura Greer on the Travel Tales Podcast. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's been eight years, a little over eight years, December of 2015, and you were in your old apartment. Yeah. And now we're in your hat store, which now I found out you're leaving. You know, we're just a, we're just roam around. So <laughs> we are a pop-up store. We knew that this day would have to come or we'd have to move locations. But um, yeah, for now, we're just going to move back to the studio loft in Venice and we'll see what happens after that. Okay, so we should get the hat thing out of the way now. Since we've last talked, you've done so much. And one of the biggest projects you've done is this Andiana hat store. Yes. So... Uh, Give us the quick genesis of the hats, because you know, just because this this pop up this actual store is closing, you're right. still in business. Oh you're no, we're be- totally still in business, and you know we will be popping up in other new locations. It's sort of the jam. Um, we we love to basically just test out new markets, and we're always popping up in different cities, and we're mainly for sale online and Instagram. But the the store or the story of the business itself is that my girlfriend and I started a sustainable hat brand based out of Peru and Guatemala. And our mission is working with female artisans and empowering them and preserving vanishing crafts and indigenous crafts down there. I've been traveling to Peru for 17 years and just fell in love with the Quechua culture, the hat culture there, and started working with a nonprofit down there. And then my business partner and I were like, well, we should start this business and bring these hats back to the U.S. Like, how hard could that be? You know, <laughs> the million dollar question. And now the hat obsession that I've always had has turned into like a massive hat obsession. My house has thousands of hats in it. And you know, <laughs> I know every time I go over there, we got to try them on. I've never used an iron in my life until I started this business. You know how many hours of ironing hats I've had to do? <laughs> Is that how you shape them? Yeah. That, okay. So they're all shaped, you know, and every time you move them and ship them, like the brims get all weird and whatever. So you have to sit there and iron them. And I remember last year um, when my dad was still around, we were like up at four o'clock in the morning. He's watching Seinfeld reruns. I'm just ironing hats. And he's like, huh. Who knew that you'd be a professional photographer and one day you'd just be ironing hats? So I was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but, you know, small you business You could be both, owner. Dad. You could be both. You know, like, I, I, no pun intended, wear a lot of hats, and uh, that's that's part of the business. As a small business owner, you got to, like, make things happen. And I'm schlepping hats in different cities. And <laughs> well, wasn't it? It was mostly about, well, not only you wanted to start a business, but you wanted to help out these women yeah. in Peru. So how do you figure out okay, we need to make money. And how was there a percentage of how much this money had to go to Peru? Or So we structured it differently. We're not a charity. In fact, we did start a charity called Mayu Mission this year um, that is going directly towards programs with the women and entrepreneurial programs, women's circles, um, like meetups every month and learning business skills and stuff like that. But um, Andiana Hats, we call them artisan partners. Like they don't work for us. They're not employees. It's not a charity where they get a certain percentage of the hats. They set the their fees based on fair trade, based on what they think their value is on how many uh, how much money per centimeter of their work. So we literally pay them per centimeter of their work. Um, and with that being said, that they can take as long or as little as they want on the project. So we don't want to disrupt their way of life. So if they need to farm, if it's, you know, uh, harvest season, if their kids are in school, if they've got a farm, you know, that kind of stuff comes first. And then when they have spare time, they work on the hats. So we understand that. We don't put orders in during certain times of year, or we just like give them a really big grace period on how to make it because like how long they have to make the hats because they're not factory workers and they don't work nine to five for us or anything like that. So they actually get paid first. Like we pay them for their work they're paid up front, and then we take the hats, and then it's on us to sell this inventory and make money. Well, we see all the stories about you know doing business in other countries. I don't know what doing business in Peru is like. Is there <laughs> like, I mean, there's always red tape involved, but I mean, how did the local governments, uh, you know, handle you coming in, this outsider coming in and saying they're going to help? Because I'm sure a lot of people come in and say they're going to help, and they're suspicious of that. Yeah. Um, First of all, starting a business, an online business with artisans that speak an ancient language that's not written (laughs) is definitely more challenging than I realized. They are making hats in rural villages off the grid and... um, I, we were like, how hard could this be? And then, you know, we realized it's hard. Um, 
And even just like during certain times of the year, it's very wet in Peru. And so things don't dry in time. There's just like a lot of factors that go into it. Political coups, COVID, pandemics, like all the things. Um, But Peru, I don't want to talk bad about Peru and starting business there, but it's very difficult to start a business. So you have to have residency, which is why my business partner lives in Peru. I mean, without her living there, we wouldn't be able to legally export anything. Um, you have to have like work with Sunat, which is kind of like their IRS and everything has to have a factura, which is sort of like a receipt of goods. Um, and it's all, everything is documented, like what you ship in and out and, um, you have to have documentation for, and pay taxes and everything. So, you know, setting that up and getting your Rook number and like having all the paperwork is, um, a pain, but you have to have all that to start a business. But, what sucks about that is that in order to own a business and have a Rook number and be registered with Sunat, you have to like rent a certain amount of square footage of office space. And so for artisans that are really poor, it like they don't have a business license, they don't have a bank account and they don't have a lot of them. And a lot of them like don't have the money or rent an office space. So they automatically aren't allowed to be registered as a real business. So then they can't, legally export their goods out. So it kind of holds the the artisans and poor people down from being able to have their own businesses, which is very frustrating. And so that was kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to come in as a nonprofit and, and as Annie and Hats because we created an entity where we could buy the goods from them and then legally export it. But without us, they wouldn't be able to send their goods overseas and sell it. Oh, boy. Yeah. That sounds like so much. But okay, so... Where, so people can buy it online and see all the hats right now. Yes. Tell us the sites. Let's get the plugs in now. It's before. Andiana Hats, spelled A-N-D-E-A-N-A, Hats. It's sort of like Indiana Jones of the Andes Mountains, which is how I named it. Um, and yeah, our Instagram is also Andiana Hats. And it's definitely our social enterprise passion project. I've always been passionate about hats, about Peru, about helping women and um it's mostly women that make all of our products. And so we have ancient woven bands. So all the bands on the hats have different meanings in the Quechua language, and we call them intention bands. So you can mix and match those, and you can buy straw hats that are made in Guatemala or alpaca wool hats that are made in Peru. And we're always adding new products and stuff, too. So it's really it's awesome. It's exciting. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. So I'll, it's been eight years. And I can't begin to cover all the places you've been in eight years. We don't have that much time. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go recently. Uh, first of all, thank you for bringing me a couple years ago, or 2019, to Africa. Oh, my God. That trip. Like, I need to go back. We that went gorilla trekking together. Yeah. I have you to thank for it because I, you told me you were going. And I said, oh, my God, I always wanted to do that. If anybody falls out, let me know. And somebody fell out, and you let me know. And you're the only guy. And yeah. So we, we all called you Silverback. <laughs> um, because the Silverback gorillas have like a harem of women around them. Right. So that was you. But I love how uh, if there was any trouble, we, everybody agreed that uh, even though I was the only guy, we would send Pamela up there. <laughs> <laughs> and once I met Pamela, I was like, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> She's tougher than me. I wouldn't want to, you know, negotiate with her. Let me tell you, that woman gets things done. The other day I was in Miami with her and I was like, I'd been trying for months to get Chase Bank to like sort out some mess that they did. She walked in for three minutes in my meeting and Chase Bank took over the meeting. Right. They're all and, sweating and, yeah, and crying literally afterwards. got got it done in like three minutes. I'm just like, who are you? You're just, she is no nonsense. I love it. Uh, so yeah, that was an amazing trip. And you know, one of the highlights actually for me of all my trips around the world, I mean, that was a big bucket list deal. I mean, we have to figure out what our next one is. I know, right? Well, you've been, you just came back from a place that uh, COVID canceled for me because, but I am going back in April, which is uh, Japan. Yes. You went skiing in Japan. Yes. And I'm pissed that I still haven't skied in Japan. And you're a skier. Yes. Or are you a snowboarder? I'm a skier. Okay. And how were the conditions and everywhere? Um, they got dumped on snow like right like halfway through my trip. And so when we first got there, the snow was good, but it got real good at the end of it. I mean, Japan is known for their powder, powder, powder. Japao, as they say. Yeah, there you go. And it was funny because, you know, I had been to Japan as a little girl, but had never been there as an adult. And it's always just, Really? Yeah. That amazes me. Yeah. That surprises me, actually. It was um, basically my parents did... 
we know we lived overseas in Indonesia and all over Asia when we were little. And so we did a lot of travel there, but I don't know why I didn't go back. I had opportunities and then like COVID. I don't know. I've been spending obviously a lot of time in Central South America. So I just hadn't made it over there. But one of my best girlfriends that I grew up with just moved there to Tokyo. So I took it as a sign. I need to go. I had a couple of weeks off on my way to India. And um, and then a couple other things happened. Like A, I'd wanted to go skiing. B, I had seen this video called One Breath Around the World. It's this free diver who's famous. His wife is like a cinematographer free diver. And he filmed a 12-something minute long video, the length of one of his breaths underwater. Oh, my God. Of him free diving in the most epic locations around the world. And so after I saw that video... I decided I need to go to all the locations in this video. And one of them was this sunken underwater pyramid city that I was like, where yes, is that? Yes, I saw your, your shots of that. Yeah, and so when I Googled the locations of that movie, it was in Japan. And I was like, what? There's like a sunken... They call it the Atlantis of the Pacific. So I had already mentally put that on my bucket list of Japan. And then what sealed the deal on that was when I Googled, you know, uh, Japan, January, whatever, the migration of hammerhead sharks goes right past the island, right where those ruins are in the south of Japan in January. So you can go and dive with like hundreds of hammerhead sharks. And wow. so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Japan and not do, you know, Kyoto and all the basic stuff that you always like hear about doing. I'm going to go ski and scuba dive in this remote island in the south of Japan. And so that was what we did. It was, it was epic. Is it near uh, Okinawa? It is, it is, but you have to take two more flights from Okinawa to get there. They're like oh, little Jesus. baby jumper flights to the oh, islands. Man. What's it called? Yunagani. Yunagani. Okay. And it's on and the lower, it's like the furthest uh, west southern island of Japan. So in January, what kind of air temperature and water temperature are we talking um, it feels like Los Angeles, but the water's a little warmer, but like, I would say the weather is very temperate like here. Wow. Um, and then the water was definitely a little warmer, but not that warm. Um, but we, you know, in the summer, it's like a hot spot. It's a, it's a summer destination, but no, I actually felt, I, it felt warmer in the water than the air. So okay. I like, it actually felt nice to scuba dive. We should tell you people how big Japan is that you could go skiing yep. over the North Island and then go down and you know scuba well, dive. I mean, it's kind of like California. It yeah. really reminds me of it. It, it. There's and Japan has all of the different sort of ecosystems like California does. Um, and I was I was surprised. I mean, there's so many beautiful places there. And now that my girlfriend lives there, and by the way, it was such an easy direct flight yeah, from, from LA. Us. We did. That's yeah. one of our advantages. That yeah. we can go there. I mean, I'm definitely going to go back and frequently because um, it's it's so beautiful and orderly and like the the natural landscapes. I mean, as a photographer, I'm definitely want to go back, especially yeah. during you know the whole um, the cherry blossoms and all of that. That's what we're hoping to hit, hit the tail of it. Yeah. When uh, when I'm there in April, but I'm surprised as a photographer, it never took you there at all. I don't know. I mean, I've been going everywhere else. Like, I know. You know I, mean, I, just, I knew I would end up there, but it has to be the kind of the right reason. Like, I know I'll end up in Saudi Arabia and some random places too, sure. but it has to be the right timing and reason. So powder was good. Did you, which town up, did we you went, go to Sapporo or? No. So we went to Nagano. Oh where yeah. They had the Olympics. Where the Olympics. But yeah. that's not the North Island though, is it? Um, it is, but it's like halfway up. It's not, it's like you, you're still connected if you go up to like Hokkaido and okay, Sapporo yeah. and all that, but it's a little more south of that. All right. Yeah. And good powder. Yeah, it was great. Right. And did you go to the onsen afterwards? We the went hot, to the onsen. We went the and saw the snow and... monkeys. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then we went snowmobiling as well. How does the price compare to here in terms of like a lift ticket? Okay. Let me just put it to you this way. Going away for the weekend, like we took a train from Tokyo really easy, rented a car um, from the train station in Nagano to um, Hakaba. And it was like an hour and a half drive. Super easy. And I think the whole weekend cost us $500. That's like lift wow. tickets, and dinner, hotel. hotel. It's amazing. so amazing. Like the lift tickets were like $30. You know, you go to Aspen or something, it's $250 <gasps> it's a day. Here. Then you have to rent your stuff. And it was so inexpensive. It's so easy to roll up there. And I mean, it would honestly be cheaper to like fly over there and ski than going to Aspen and skiing. Well, sold. Well, I mean, post-COVID, you know, t- Japan was one of those places that really shut down mm-hmm. hard. Are you still seeing the effect? I mean, this is a place where they wore masks on the subway anyway, you know, but... Uh, I mean, it is business s- as usual there okay. now. You don't um, have to show any kind of like 
uh, vaccinations or no. anything like that? Mm-mm. Okay. No, it's totally business as usual. And um, what I love about Japan is just how orderly yeah, and, and clean and, clean and safe it is. They think amazing. we live in the third world. I mean, I left my phone <laughs> on the plane in the when I was changing planes, and somebody like ran it out and gave it to me. I mean, they are just so nice and honest and amazing. Like people don't even lock their doors there or do anything. Like, was it the bullet train? Did you take? Yeah. How cool are those? It's right? so cool. Yeah, that you come off and there's like, how can we not have these? I know the train system is so easy there. Um, you know, obviously Google Translate was my friend on this trip. Right. Like a lot of people don't speak English, and I clearly don't. That's the hard read part Japanese. About it. So, well, the thing is, they learn it in schools, but a lot of them forget it as soon as they get out of high school. Yeah. You know, this, they have to do the, they, after the test is done, if you don't use it, you know, yeah. you lose it. And even if when they can speak it, they apologize all this, oh, I'm sorry, my English is not good. It's like, no, it's fine, please. <laughs> but they're embarrassed, you know, they're ashamed that it's not good. It's just like, no, it's great. It's better than my Japanese. Oh my please, God. let's hang we, up. talk to me, please. When we went down the Unagini Island, I there's not many places on the planet where I felt so remote and off the grid. Um, it took three planes to get there. There's maybe 50 people on the island. Nobody spoke English, no service. Yeah, I mean, um, we were staying in a guest house above the dive shop. I mean, there's not even wow. really like major hotels or anything there, not even restaurants. So it felt like we were on a deserted island. And, um, you know, Google Translate only worked here and there when you had service. So thank God scuba diving involves hand signals and a lot of, you know, yeah. I mean, you're not just saying like hammerhead shark and like whatever. And so we were on the, my girlfriend and I went and, like nobody could communicate with us and dive instructors. Um, and so on the boat, they're giving like a 20 minute long lecture about probably like important information, like how much air you're going to have and what the currents are like and where we're diving and what we're doing. Like, we're just sitting on the boat, like, cool. Don't know yeah. anything you're saying. And then they came over with like a phone and Google translate and said, you follow guide. And then, <laughs> and then after that, it was like, when the hammer comes out, we will show you a beautiful world. I'm like, cool. That's all we need to know. <laughs> Hammerhead shark, when it comes out, right. awesome. And that was it. Like, we were just like, okay, well, we're just going to go dive and figure this out. Like, In 30 plus years of diving, I've seen a lot of sharks, but I've never seen a hammerhead. Do you oh, believe that? Wow. Well, I mean, they're, they like they're deep, cold common. water. No, they're not. Yeah. They like the Galapagos. They like where there's a lot of currents. And so... um, in Japan, in this area, the currents are really strong. And same with the Galapagos. And that's where they seem to like to be. Right. I don't know. I was like, I, I was not afraid being, I mean, it was weird because you don't see them until they're kind of right up on you. Like when they turn sideways, they sort of blend into the blue. Yeah. And then when they turn again, you're like, suddenly you can see them. Cool. When they say there's, it's an Atlantis, what, what's down there? Is it a wreck or is it, what are you looking at? So what I think it is because they don't know like who built it or whatever. It's from like 10,000 years ago, but it looks like it started off as a natural formation of rocks that looks kind of like a pyramid. Like they're very smooth rocks. But then I think humans from 10,000 years ago then carved temples and, and like uh, steps and things into it. It was like Ice Age stuff. Like uh, Yeah, it was like very a, basic, but it was... Community it, or something. Yeah, it was definitely some sort of temple or something back uh-huh. in the day. And now it's underwater. Okay. That's great. It's pretty big. It's like you can't scuba dive the whole thing. So do you, have you been doing more free diving? I've been saying I'm trying to get into that. I don't free dive where I hold my breath. Um, I want to try it. Uh, you know what? I watched a documentary on Netflix about free diving and like everyone dies in it. And I'm kind okay, of, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm good on that. <laughs> like I kind of just want to have my air. Um, but I, I do love, you know, diving down when I'm snorkeling and stuff like that. But um, I... I've just decided I want to do a lot more diving and some of my bucket list locations this year are going to reefs that I don't know how much longer they're going to be around. I know. I and know. I've, I've definitely seen a drop off in the reefs in just the 22 years I've been diving and it's oh, just very it. sad. So I, I really have a bucket list of like wanting to do some of the major water related locations. What's left. I mean, I still haven't done the Galapagos. I want to go to, um, What's the one in near the Philippines with the big stuff and the jellyfish lake? Palau. Palau. Yeah, that was one of my favorite places I did. Yeah, I want to do that. Um, I want to do Raja Ampat in Indonesia. I want to do Papua New Guinea. I want to dive. Um, I want to dive with like a lot of the big marine life. So um, 
my birthday last year, almost exactly a year ago, we dove with the sperm whales in Dominica Island and we met this whale expert and he literally travels around doing dive trips with big whales and stuff like that. So he's doing the super pod of dolphins off the coast of Costa Rica at the end of the year, like in November. Apparently there's an area where all the families of dolphins, like we're talking like 5,000 of them converge together to mate and hunt and all oh, of that. Nice. And it's, they call it a super pod and you can go out on a live aboard boat and go swim with them. Um, so I want to do things like that where I can see just them in the total wild like that. Um, but the whales were such an incredible experience. And I think I just want to see some of the really beautiful reefs. Um, I've heard, that um, Rangaroa in, in the French Polynesia is supposed to be amazingly beautiful diving too. So yeah, I just got back. You know, I saw the um, humpbacks. I swam, I snorkeled with them in in uh, Marea in Tahiti, which was it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. You know, after diving, you know, I've been diving since 1990, and what I've seen just in the reefs of alone is it's sad you know i was just in australia and people asked me if i dove there and just like i'm kind of afraid because i dove there in 96 and i'm kind of afraid of what i'd see yeah you know compared to what it was the caribbean is a big disappointment to me yeah uh, in the last five ten years i don't even like i do these ships and stuff you know and the cruises and i I rarely dive now yeah because i've just been disappointed when i come up it's like the color's gone and all that stuff. I know, it's sad. It's a bummer. So you were on your way to India. Yes. So this was a, a, a photography gig, yes. right? Yes. Okay. A lot of colors in India, but I know you've been. <laughs> yes. But it's, uh, India can be hard. Um, especially hard. going from Japan to India. Yeah, I know. Where, you know, you're at First the airport and everyone like waits calmly and all of your luggage arrives perfectly even on the, on the you know, and you land the luggage chaos. carousel and then it's pure chaos. And, um, and I had to go straight to the the Delhi train station to go to Rajasthan, Oof. like at, right straight off all these flights, and it was like la, 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 you know, like everyone's mm. like like carrying bags. People are trying to grab your bags, so you have to be forced to, you know, tip them. And there was just chaos, and there was cows going through the street, and stray <laughs> dogs, know. and monkeys. I'm like, what is that? Like it just it was such chaos compared to Oof. Japan. So what was the what were you shooting? Was this a wedding? No, so I, I've been shooting for National Geographic's Artisan Catalog for about 17 years, which is how I met the artisans that make my hats. And so one of their regions is Delhi, India. And so I usually go to their regions once a year or once every other year. So they have, you know, Bali and Chiang Mai, Thailand, and Delhi, India are their Asia regions. And then Peru, Guadalajara, Antigua, Guatemala are sort of like their Central South America regions. Um, they just opened up in Uzbekistan and Armenia, which I'm like very excited wow. about shooting over there um, soon. But yeah, so it's been really cool. Um, but they, they have a lot of artisans in India that they represent and sell their goods. So I was shooting sort of catalog covers for them and shooting the artisan goods. So is your stuff, so this is for, is it different shooting for the artisans as opposed to the magazine? Is your stuff showing up in the, the main magazine? Um, this particular shoot is just going to show up on the catalog that they send out and then online. Um, but it is really just like a way for them to market and sell. Like they're, they're this sort of the same mission as the hat company I own where we're trying to preserve vanishing crafts and help connect them with a global, global marketplace to sell their goods. So they've been doing that on a much larger scale for years. In fact, they just launched handmade.com, which is, it's like going to be sort of a competition to Etsy um, where they're going to just sell all like artisan made goods. And so like now my work is also going to be kind of translating, moving over to handmade.com as well. Well, That's great. Yeah. So how long were you in India? I did a quickie. I was there maybe four or five days. Oh, that's fast. Yeah. But I had been in Tokyo for a couple of weeks. So I was already sort of on Asia time, but it was, um, yeah, it was a quickie. I mean, I was in and out just shooting. It was kind of chaotic. Well, yeah. You'd like to do that in the reverse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> start totally. in India and then, you know, ease your way back through the nice Japan. But yeah, I always tell people about India. I mean, it's, 
It's every extreme, I always thought. It's like, yeah. um, it's amazingly beautiful and amazingly hard. I know. mean, I love being out in Rajasthan more in the country, and I love Jodhpur, it's, the blue city, all the, yeah. you know, Udaipur, Jodhpur, Jaipur, like those are all just so magical. I think the big, big cities like Mumbai and it's, Delhi hard. are just, it's tough. It's, it's too many people. It's just a lot. And there's just very polluted and... Um, too busy. There's constant honking your horns, and like it's just chaos. Yeah, the poor of the country, and you know this is true of pretty much all of Africa. Is we see, it's like you don't. The cities are not where you want to be. But you, you got to get out in the country. But gotta, how surprised were you when we were in Rwanda? Kigali, Rwanda was. I told people that that is the cleanest African city I've uh, you've been ever in. seen. There was not was a speck amazed, of trash on the ground. Right? Not a speck I was of anything. amazed by it. And it was because they outlawed plastic bags, and you know, uh, yeah, the president clearly has issues and you know <laughs> like more of a dictator but like at least he has social responsibility and you know they say the president will even stop his motorcade to go pick up trash on the side of the road yeah, and it like, makes a difference yeah and so nobody litters and it's just i mean it was so remarkably clean yeah like we could easily you know learn from that yeah and then you get to you know nairobi and then yeah. oh, oh boy here we go here we go um yeah, well, that's that's a cool trip, and and so you were splitting your time, I know, between here, Florida, and you had a you had quite a year last year. Yes. Your dad, I'm sorry about your dad Thank passing. You. Um, did that make you like everything you went through all last year? Did it, does this year you look at it and you go and okay, things are going to be different this year or? Yeah, I mean, I think I it was a lot of lessons. That's the way I'm trying to look at all the hard things that happened last year. Um, lessons about how to live my life. I mean, not that I've been living it badly, but I think I just felt untethered after my dad passed. He was sort of the anchor in our family. And, um, you know, I was living between Miami and LA and constantly traveling. And I realized I just, I'd like to have a little bit more roots. Like I'm never going to not travel, but at least have roots in one place and stay put long enough to have connections with people and friends and things. And I think that having those connections is really important to me. I mean, you know, I have my Taco Tuesday parties and I host women's events and I'm, I'm constantly a host and people are like, you're crazy, you fly in from India and you'll host an event that night. And I'm like, because I'll be in town for three days and I just want to see everyone because my friends are like my family. And, and so, but even then, you know, you see everybody for an hour and you've got a hundred people in your house and it's hard to talk to everyone. I think just having smaller, more, intimate moments and better conversations and being home long enough to have a normal like workout this. schedule like this <laughs> is good. And I think yeah, that's my your parties. Pers- I love your parties, but I never get a chance to talk. No, we to don't you get to talk because we're so right. busy. Um, so I want to make an effort this year to be a little more grounded like that. Um, make more time to do all the things I want. I've been taking Spanish lessons and um, we all need playing that. my piano and trying to read more and, Uh, get in the gym. I mean, I'm just trying to do more things for me and just feel good. But, you know, I, I, I'm definitely dealing with my father's passing and it's a weird thing to like suddenly think about like, what's your legacy and what's life and how long are we going to be on this planet and all that kind of stuff. And my dad was an interesting character, man. He worked for the CIA for 40 years. He was super secretive dude. And, you know, I was still learning things about him up until his death, after his death, going through his things, like what the hell? Like, (laughs) You know, I found all kinds of like weird CIA relics and stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I found out about like hidden lovers my dad had, all kinds what? of stuff. I mean, it's like, oh my God. He was like God. James Bond. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, so it, it just goes to show you, like, I mean, I tried really hard to, to understand and get to know my dad before he passed. And we, I remember I took him on all these dad ventures. Yeah. Like, um, and we'd go on road trips and, Every time I would take the time to go on a road trip with my dad or something, I would learn something. He would just casually drop something. He, we'd be like driving to Colorado and he'd be like, huh, Colorado Springs, you might have a half brother there. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> like, you know, like he would just say stuff like that. And that was how I would find out things. And, and you know, he was a vault. So, um, Wait, did I meet him in Alaska? Yeah, I, you must have. You must have met yeah. him in Alaska. For people who don't know, why would you know? We uh, we ran into each other. I was doing a ship in Alaska, and we were yeah. in Skagway on the same day, and you were there with your family on a different ship. Yep. And, yeah. and like Facebook was like, 
Mike is nearby. Yeah. Like, that's so creepy. <laughs> what are the odds? Like, what the hell? So, yeah, we met up at a bar. That was so cool. Yeah, it was funny. I loved that trip. Uh, speaking of, well, I mean, the pandemic, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it happened to you, but it, it caused me to, like, really uh, appreciate, you know, you don't appreciate things until you don't have them anymore. And either the simple things like this, meeting face-to-face, because I, I hate Zoom. Yeah. I, I, and I'm so over it. And uh, so any chance I get to meet face-to-face or see my friends, and I try to do it. You know, we took yeah. it for granted for so long. Yeah. And I know during the pandemic, you know, of all my friends, you were out there maybe more than <laughs> anybody well, I knew. And you went out kind of quick. You were traveling. You didn't skip too much of a beat. Well, because... I got stuck in Miami, Florida during the pandemic and Miami shut down for like two weeks and then they're like, what pandemic, yeah, you know, Florida, were, style. Florida was, but you know what? They handled <laughs> it really well. Like they were still, you know, okay, social distance, whatever, but they didn't like, it wasn't like the sky is falling and everything's ending. And I think that, you know, it's a one thing DeSantis did correctly, but, um, <laughs> like I felt, um, you know, we did local stuff. We did road trips. And obviously, you know, Matt and I, my, my boyfriend at the time, he was a travel writer. People were pivoting in the tourism industry. Like, oh shit, no one's flying, but we can drive. And so they started pitching road trip Americana stories to us. And so we just started road tripping. I mean, I went to like five new states during COVID. I'd never been to Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs> like some Southern, like real yeah. Southern stuff. You know, and that's almost like going to a foreign country. It so. was. It was actually. I would say Mississippi in certain areas was more foreign to me than yeah. Africa, but um, but it was great. Like I love learning and exploring, and um, I got to see a lot more of the U.S. and and you know people. I mean, I look. I got shamed for traveling during that time, but it was like this is my livelihood. This is work for me, and we weren't doing it in an unsafe way. We were road tripping and all that stuff, but. It was, I think it was important to show people like you can still live and be out there. What were some of your first flights after it all shut down? Um, gosh. Uh, I mean, I flew back from Miami to LA. Um, I loved flying during COVID. Nobody was on the planes. I loved travel during COVID. You'll never see it like that, mm-hmm. like empty airports. No, not even like that. I would do photo shoots in national parks during the time. Not a soul was there. I went to Death Valley. We went to um, up in Mount Shasta, we went to like Yellowstone. We went to all these places. Not a soul was there. And it was amazing. I'll never have that experience again. I kind of miss it at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was on a plane the day the world shut down coming back from Peru. I mean, I barely made it out of Peru that day. That was, I was leading a retreat. We left on the retreat and everything was fine. They weren't even wearing masks in Peru. And then the second we were leaving, the president had announced there's 24 hours to get out of the country. And we were in the Amazon off the grid when he announced that. So we didn't hear it. So we got to the airport and it was like thousands of people trying to get out of the country. And it was pure chaos. And we barely made it out. It was, it was actually scary. How did Peru handle it? And how did it affect your business? Uh, Peru went into a military lockdown. They were like men were only allowed on even days and women allowed on odd days. And like men and women were not allowed on the streets together, um, which is weird, right? Because you can't catch it from each other. Well, I think because they, they <laughs> couldn't like prove, they tried to do the neighborhood thing, but they couldn't prove who lived where when you see right, someone. But yeah. you could tell if a guy, hopefully if a guy's a guy, a girl's a girl. So you could just, it was easier for them to control right. that way. But they were in full military lockdown. Like it was like really hard to be there and they shut down all the borders. You couldn't even get mail or shipping in and out of the country for eight months. Mm. So it completely halted our business. I mean, we were able to like order hats from the women. We were still able to give them work, but we weren't able to get the hats out of the country. So that day that we escaped on the final day, I was leading a retreat. I called my business partner and I said, bring as many boxes of hats to the airport as you can. And I was like Oprah. I was giving a box of hats to everyone. Like, get this out <laughs> of the country. Get you, get you get a hat. You get a hat box. Like, I don't care where you are. <laughs> Wherever you land, tell me where you are. I will ship it back to me in LA. Like, it was, and that was it. That We got, we snuck out like 200 hats out of the country. And that was what we had for eight months to sell. Like, that was it. Wow. Did, um, oh, speaking of that, you just, you just led a group of women. Because yep. I, I ran into your, uh, your roommate, Amber. 
who uh, I'm trying to get on the show to talk about this trip. So I don't want to dig too deep, but I got to give her something to oh, talk I'd love about. To hear, I'd love to hear her version. Yeah, we'll hear your take on it because she said this, uh, you did Machu Picchu and it was a little harder than she expected. So we, so she did both. She did Machu Picchu, but what we did was Chocaquirao, which I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it is, and I'd heard about it for years. It's sort of the hidden, the lost city of the, the sister city to Machu Picchu that no one's heard of. Um, you know, Machu Picchu gets four to 5,000 visitors a day. This place gets 15 visitors a day. Um, it's still on the Inca Trail. Like, in fact, if you walk for 12 days, you can walk the whole Inca Trail to Machu Picchu from this place, but it's extremely difficult. Um, but the reason why no one knows about it, and like only the kind of the locals know about it, is because it's extremely hard to get to. You can only get there by foot or mule. Like, there's no trains, there's no tour buses, there's nothing like that. Um, so you have to walk for days on very, very steep over mountaintops and stuff and down in this valley, cross the river, up this mountain. Um, and you're up in the clouds where, and you just wonder how they can even build ruins that high. But, you know, I had heard about it, but I had never actually done the trek. And so my girlfriend who plans tours was like, oh, it's hard, but you'll be able to do it. You know, you did Kilimanjaro. So I just somehow convinced like 10 people to come with me on this trip <laughs> and Oh my God. Like the first half of the trip was, you know, we were like whining and dining, going around the sacred Valley, staying in nice hotels. And you're taking f- shots. You're yep. taking uh, pictures. You got, you brought your costumes, of course. Yep, of course. And Laura Greer style. You got to bring a costume. Well, you have to bring onesies and costumes <laughs> or like, or are you well, even I mean, living? Yeah, you need that on the mountain. I mean. Sure. It, so, well, we heard there was this llama wall, like um, it's the only kind that they found in Inca culture where they had these carvings of llamas and these uh, terraces. And I think they used to sacrifice llamas there. But anyway, so we were like, well, we do wear, wear llama onesies and do a photo shoot on these walls. <laughs> Um, anyway, which we did, but we had to have a whole mule carry our onesies, you know, like nobody could carry their stuff, but, um, (laughs) you know, costume porters, it's obviously, obviously you gotta, you gotta have it. But we, day one, I mean, the only way I can uh, describe this hike was if you were hiking in and out of the Grand Canyon every day for four days in a row, like you're going straight down or straight up every day. Like so switchbacks of like switchbacks going up, switchbacks going straight down. Oh. You're going in and out of these canyons, and that's the only way to describe it. It is so difficult, and a lot of it's exposed, no shade. Um, and and then you did it. What time of year? We did it in November, like right around Thanksgiving, okay. which was a great time of year to do it. But it was, you know, you're also on the border of the the they call it the eyebrow of the jungle. You're like kind of going along the jungle, so. Um, you know, there's times where it's very t- tropical and hot and there's times where it's very arid and like deserty. So it's this weird thing. But um, yeah, but day one, when we were doing that, everyone was like, what the F, Laura? Like, what did you bring us on? <laughs> like, people were so miserable. But I, I will say that by day two, three, like once everyone got into their groove and we got to the ruins or whatever, everybody was like, felt like a superwoman because you were so proud of what you had done. You, like, look back at all the hours of hiking you did, and you're like, I did that, you know? And so it's it's amazing what your body can achieve over your mind. What was the elevation, like, you were at? Like You know what? Thank God the elevation wasn't too crazy. It was sort of like Cusco elevation, like 12,000. Like yeah, okay. Um, so you felt that it wasn't the heavy-duty Kilimanjaro? No, it wasn't heavy-duty Kilimanjaro, but... But still, 12,000 feet, you're going to be short of breath. You're going to yeah, pee a lot. You're going to not sleep well. Yeah, I mean, if it had been higher elevation, I think we would have died. You would have lost it was, a couple. It was just hard because it was hard. It was yeah. straight up, straight. There was no flat ever. Wow. So... Um, that, you know, it's just, it's mind over matter at that point. <laughs> I'm going to get her take on it. We're yeah, I'd love to hear, I, I won't say anymore. Um, I'd love to hear her her take on it. But that was, you know, I'd been trying to get um, Amber to go on. She was supposed to go on Kilimanjaro and couldn't go. Trying to get her on a trip. And and by the way, all of my trips now to Peru that I lead, we're going to, uh, we call them Andiana Summits. We have to summit some sort of peak in Peru every time we go down. That's going to be our thing. That's what we, our business was built on, our hat business was built on, the idea came while we were hiking the Osangate Trek, which is the famous Rainbow Mountains down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that gets up to 17,000. It's real high. And that was, I honestly think, harder trek than Kilimanjaro. It was really difficult, really high altitude. Um, you don't really have time to acclimate like Kilimanjaro, but... Um, 
you know, that, that we came up with the business idea on that trip. And I, ever since then we, we do these like team building hikes. Is it always women? You know what? It's not always women. In fact, when I opened up the Peru trip, it was Can't be just me. I mean, <laughs> but I think that I just have such a community of women that it like sells out so yeah. quickly. But I mean, I'd like to bring back the co-ed trip because I don't just do women's retreats, but I kind of just have it's become that, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Kilimanjaro was a women's trip because the whole point was we hired all female porters. We had women. It was about women empowerment. The mountain itself, Kilimanjaro is a goddess and yeah. she... Um, like you enter your goddess phase of your life and take on that energy. They say when you like climb to the top of Kilimanjaro, so it's a very powerful female symbol. So I wanted to make that one a female trip. Because I did that one. So what what year did you do that? One? Did you step into your goddess? When you I did. I, I felt I felt the goddess <laughs> within me. What uh, what year did you do that? Um, God, that was twenty nineteen. No, no, no. We it was after twenty twenty. No, it was twenty twenty one then. Wait. It was only a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. It was during COVID. Was it 2021 or 2022? Maybe it was 2022. Time stopped for a couple of years there. You know what? Know. I think it was 2022. I think January. it was too. Yeah. So, and uh, the shots from there are amazing because of course you had to bring costumes as well. And how many, how many gals went with you? We had nine. Nine. Yeah. Okay. I know camera went, right? Yeah. Um, it was really cool because there are nine eight or nine different ecosystems on yeah you start out in like the jungle like and straight like up rainforest jungle. Yeah. and there's monkeys in the trees and then it you know the trees get smaller and yeah. then you're in shrubbery and then it's yeah, just the moonscape forest. Yep. yeah <laughs> yeah and there's like lava fields and then you're in this weird like joshua tree looking place and mm -hmm. then you know then it gets into arctic arctic um, and then you hit snow and then yeah it's pretty Alp alpine they call yeah. it yeah yeah, I mean, there's all these different regions. And so for me, I had wanted to do a photo shoot in each like ecosystem. And so it kind of timed out because we did the Limosho trek. Okay. And so that was eight days. It was the most photogenic and it was the most acclimating. Yeah, I did the shortest one. Yeah, which is really difficult. You know, you yeah, don't... we didn't acclimate, you know. That's you, what I'm saying. You, you don't just acclimate. plow through it. And uh, we had a couple people get really sick yeah i think i got a little bit of uh altitude sickness and then more afterwards because yeah. i went to zanzibar afterwards and uh i felt like i was hung over like it really it, yeah. like, it wasn't just a normal tiredness yeah and i was like this is not right so i think i got a bit of altitude sickness yeah i made everyone take the diamox like altitude pills um i wanted to purposely do the longer trek so we didn't feel like crap and also, I liked the idea of every woman had her own day to do a photo shoot, and we had all the different regions we were hiking through. So I kind of planned it that way, and then we all had like two-hour massages waiting for us when we got to the bottom of the mountain and beers, clutch. That's nice. And then... Um, and the greatest shower yeah, of your life. Greatest shower of your life. <laughs> right. After not showering for a week. Oh, it's the best the best i mean were you doing fashion shoots every day while I you're not, not showering because we were <laughs> what did you do so are those photos were those for just you or did you sell those photos was this for a magazine or something or a site um i definitely like posted it for international women's day and like had um like a, a small magazine was interested in it but the whole idea and concept was for me and for the tour company we were just celebrating women and the female porters and the whole trip it was like kind of part of the retreat of the trip was that everyone did this fashion shoot so it wasn't specifically like for any publication it was just our project right so what's uh, i think you went to did you get to antarctica as well yes did you finally okay when what year was that that was 2019 okay and then was that on a uh, was that a national geographic cruise or no was that was a silver sea cruise so i was doing a press trip for silver sea oh nice and that was really nice right i mean butler service in antarctica it doesn't get any better than that yeah i went on seaborne but i was working but i was still like you know it's a higher end cruise line and it's it was nice i mean it was nice. the shows were I, hard yeah <laughs> the worst shows it was so bad I mean, Cameron came with me and we had it dialed in. Like after we do all the adventures during the day at four o'clock every day, we'd ask our butler to send us hot cocoa and popcorn to the hot tub. Oh. And we literally sat in the hot tub and we would just get served. <laughs> and people were like, what? I'm like, you two could ask your butler to do this, you know, like, but it was just really fun to have. Um, we took full advantage of that. It was great. Yeah. Did you had those were your penguin costumes, right? Yep. Of course. Yes. Of course. I mean, my closet now has 75% costumes, 25% regular clothes. <laughs> oh, my God, you were Japan, and no one likes karaoke more than you. 
I know. Tell me you had to, you said. Oh, you didn't see my Instagram stories? Oh, I must have. We went out with the salary men. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did see that. So explain the salary men. It's just guys, the businessmen in suits. Okay, so businessmen in Japan are called salary men. And they are like work hard, play hard. They have to drink for a living, basically. Essentially. I mean, so they are always having brutal. meetings after work and they drink and drink and drink. And yeah. Like binge in Seoul, drink. it was the same thing. And yeah. then they always miss the last train. So if they miss the last train at like midnight or 11 or mm-hmm. whatever, the next train's not till five in the morning. So what do they do? They just drink all night till five in the morning and they'll sleep on the streets <laughs> and, and then they'll go to work the next day, just like that. And like, it's a thing. And they literally oh, yeah. call them salary men. My friend, my, uh, old neighbor who was a Korean American, but we used to go, he was telling me about in Seoul and they have them here in Koreatown that, you know, going out and drinking with clients and stuff is a big part of your job. You know, yeah. you got to go out, take them out to dinner. You got to, you know, take yeah. them, go karaoke and, and they miss the last train and they have these places that are basically just crash pads, like dorms. Yeah. Yep. They go there and you can, you know, they hand them your suit. They give you a, you know, a toothbrush and everything like some food if you want it. There's TV rooms. And they just sleep it off. I could not be. And you wake up the next day and because uh, it makes no sense. It, you know, yeah. it's too expensive to take a car home or whatever and then just turn around and come back. So they'll press your suit for you and <laughs> wash it. And uh, you wake up and eat your breakfast and go back to the... And like the city's littered with these places. Yeah. And they have them all throughout Tokyo and in Seoul and places like that. But yeah, at night you will see these guys just... Guys in suits just stumbling out of cabs and just hammered. Oh, it was, so when we first got to this karaoke place, they were calm, these three businessmen, and they were just sitting at a table, and they had all the microphones and stuff on their table. So we had luggage, like we were coming straight from (laughs) scuba diving or something, and we had been at the train station, and so my girlfriend's like, it doesn't make sense for you to drop luggage at home, let's just bring it. So we rolled in there with like bags, (laughs) and just put our stuff in the corner, and then I just walked over to their table and was like, excuse me, and just grabbed the microphones and then put in like a Whitney Houston song and then just started singing. And then all of a sudden, it was like the lights turned on. They <laughs> literally became like in party mode. Like once we started the karaoke, it was like game on. And it was like shots of whiskey, shots of tequila. <laughs> Everyone's singing back and forth karaoke. There were like tambourines and instruments. We were like playing um, with each other. <laughs> I have like a tambourine injury. We were like fe- <laughs> forcefully playing like a the tambourine, tambourine blister. I mean, it was it was hilarious. Like we just it went into like full on party mode. I, it was so much fun. <laughs> That's great. I'm gonna have to find your friend when we go to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. What does she do there? Why? What brought her there? Um, her husband fixes Aston Martin cars in. Asia. So there's like two dudes that know how to fix an Aston Martin. It's a good niche. And they like live in Asia and they just fly them around to fix rich people's cars. Wow. Yeah. That's a good gig. Uh-huh. I got he was living in gig. Singapore before doing it and now he's in Japan. Yeah. You can go where the money is and the Aston Martins are. Probably has to go to China a bunch. I mean, he has to go everywhere in Asia. Wow. So they, they, they just have him as a base out there. That's great. Yeah. That's, a, that's cool. Uh, so where are your next things? What can we look forward to? In this year? Well, I just came back from IMM, um, the International Media Marketplace. I saw you there. Everybody was there but me. I mean, you could have been there too. I know. I probably should have been. It was great because I think I needed, it's a good reset for the year when you're, you know, trying to figure out what your shoots and your jobs and stuff are going to be. But what I'm excited about, obviously I have to go back down to Peru and and do some nonprofit work. So that'll probably be next month. But um I'm talking with the patty, like the diving patty chicks, and um, they are looking for me to do some influencer promotional stuff for them. And so a lot of the tourism boards, um, like in St. Martin, Bonaire, Curacao, they're going to be bringing me down to do sort of a diving tour. Um, Bonaire is like diver's paradise, but... Saint I dove Martin. there for on an off a ship. Yeah. Oh my god, it's it's so good for diving. And um, Saint Martin just opened up an underwater museum that you have to dive through. So they want me to come visit that. So I'm kind of excited to do like a little mini, like a you know Caribbean dive tour. They want to bring me in April for Carnival and Saint Martin, which will be really fun. Oh, cool. Um, and then other big trips that I'm going to do are going to. Uh, Eastern European road trips. So my goal this year is to hit 100 countries. I'm, I'm at 90. Like I need to, I want to get over the hump. But um, there's this, I also found out I have Albanian Jewish heritage on my grandmother's side. And so it kind of like prompted me to want to go to Albania and just check it out. And so I, then I looked at that region and I'm like, God, there's. It's on my list. Albania there's so many places. Cool. Hey, do you want to come on a road trip with me? My, maybe. Yeah, I want to go in probably June or July. 
Um, and then I'm going to end up in Paris out during the Olympics. My sister lives there. So, um, that'll be in July in Paris. So I'll probably do like an Eastern European road trip and in Paris. And then, um, other trips other than that are, uh, we're looking at Banff. We're looking at, um, having to like cruise in the Northern, uh, passageway, like to the North pole, polar bear region. I've been in the South, but I haven't been in the North. So Greenland, that area, um, yeah, so there's like a lot of trips on the horizon, but I would say um, the next big trip I'm doing is totally random, but I have to document a giant Lady Liberty art piece that's getting driven from D.C. to Nebraska. I'm literally going on an icy February road trip to Nebraska to document this artist bringing this statue to Nebraska. So it's a mock Statue of Liberty? It's a... It's like her version of Statue of Liberty. It's called Lady Liberty. I haven't actually seen the art piece yet, but I've been asked by this artist to come on this road trip and document it. So okay. that's totally random. How big is how big is this thing? I don't know. I'm doing a call later today about the whole details of it, but they want to do like a whole press thing. Like the Board of Tourism wants to cover it. It's like a whole thing moving this. It's like a political thing moving this statue. But Wow. Yeah. Well, you've been doing this for years. Did you ever get to a point, was there one moment like, you know, your fifth canceled flight of the day or something like that, where you made, made you question everything. They're going, I'm exhausted. I'm over it. I'm not going to, I'm taking a year off or um, you, was there a moment that stands out that you almost hit a wall that you just went? I mean, I think this last year, I mean, you can hear them like under the weather. I think this last year and like, cause usually everything's pretty lucky for me. Like, I mean, things work out and, um, even when bad things happen, I, I believe they're for a good reason. So I haven't had too many horrible travel stories Considering the amount that I've traveled, it's, you know, there's not that many horrible travel stories, but I would say that just the constant moving back and forth, like I wish I actually tracked how many flights and how many miles I did last year because it was obscene. Um, I realized that I spend more time on a plane than in a car, like hands down. Like I don't literally, I, I, it's like a luxury for me to sit in my car. And when I'm in traffic, I'm like, this is great. I've got my, I can make phone calls. I've got my music. Like I actually love sitting in my car because I don't get to spend a lot of time in it. But um, I think last year with everything going on and just feeling really like in and out of suitcases and um, just not feeling like I had a home uh, per se was it, it hit me a little bit, you know? So, um, but I also know that travels, like if I ever just stayed at home for months at a time, I would go crazy too. So there needs to be a balance. And I think, no matter what, having a home base and a place you love and having your stuff somewhere is really important. Like I have a lot of girlfriends that are digital nomads or gypsies and, um, and I get that lifestyle, but for me, I've always had a home base. Like it's very important for me to want the second I get home, I unpack everything. It's all organized. I clean my place before I leave. So when I come home, it's perfectly clean. And I, I do the just, same thing. Yeah. I just love <laughs> I hate coming it's back so and like, cha- oh, chaos. Yeah, it's chaotic. And like, I like having a clean car and a clean house and just, it's so nice to come back and be like, ah. Oh, have my stuff, you know, because you're out of a suitcase for like weeks at a time. Yeah. And plus, you know, not that, I mean, you're younger than me, but I have seen as you get older, it, it, it's tiring. Yeah. It really is. And flying gets harder and harder. Um, how do you, what's your secret for surviving on flights? Do you have like a tried and true method? Are you that person that can fall asleep on the plane? Yeah. Easily. I don't I get hate jet you lagged. I don't get jet lagged at all. That's amazing. I um and it's because I have like a formula for it. So no matter where when you land, where you land, you have to stay up till midnight in that location. And you can't think about what time is it in London yeah. right now? What time is it in London? I do try to do that. Like if it's daytime, I'll stay up at least to a respectable No, you, you have know, to force yourself. You need to have like three cups of coffee. Yeah. But sometimes if you land in the morning it's the worst. But if you land at like eight PM or whatever, it's great. So if I'm landing in the morning, I try to take a nap on the plane, like even a little nap, even just three hours. Um, if I'm landing at night, I stay up the whole time on the plane. And then when I get there, I can like have dinner, shower, whatever. And then I go to bed by like midnight, 11 midnight. And then I wake up at a normal time and I'm on that time zone. Because a lot of times I'm flying places and I have to shoot the next day and I can't be getting up at four in the morning and doing all that. So I don't know. Years ago, I had this method and I just have not gotten jet lagged. Um, but I will say I'm little and five, five. So being on a plane, I can kind of curl yeah, up and yeah. do things and, um, I can sleep, but, um, 
you know, obviously being in business or first is, is a game yeah. changer, but I just, I don't know. I can sleep on planes, but I really have like a method where I'll like watch some movies. I'll get some work done. I'll read a book. I'll take a little nap. Like, you know, I have sort of, it just depends on when I'm landing. I kind of decide what my schedule is going to be. I know. I find it, the jet lag hits me more when I come home then, you know, I don't know why. I think maybe because I'm traveling. And again, I do what you do. I stay up as, as far as I can. And, and I get on schedule pretty quick. Yeah. And you're excited to be in a new place. And there's yeah. adrenaline there as well. I find that coming back, it takes longer. I don't know. I just, I can go, I have like a little method. And I get home and I just kind of throw my stuff in the laundry. And I take a shower and I organize and I unpack. And then stay up till a certain time. I go to bed and I wake up and it's like, Normal. How about the sickest you've ever been overseas? What's oh my God, hands down. That was uh, India on my birthday, I don't know, nine years ago. India got me too. And, and I'm so smart <laughs> in terms of in India where I'm like, don't touch the water, use bottled water to brush my teeth, like all that stuff. But it was my birthday and I remember being like, I'm in, I was going to fly on my birthday. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm flying on my birthday from Asia. So I'm literally going to have a 48 hour birthday because when I landed, it was still my birthday. Yeah, right, yeah. And so I was excited about having like this lengthy birthday. And so I decided to treat myself to a really long, awesome spa treatment in Delhi at a really nice spa before the plane ride, the 18 hour plane ride. So I go and get a spa treatment, all that. And so like the last day, like the last two hours of my trip. And they gave me like a little Dixie cup of water at the end of the massage. And I just, you know, cause it was like a really right. nice spa. I didn't even really think about it. And I drank it. I got to the airport and like thought I was going to die. Like and the, the security came up to me twice because I was kind of doubled over and sweating and whatever, like as I was going through security and they kept on coming up being like, oh, you're all right. Cause they will quarantine you, not let you on the plane if you're really sick. Right. And I finally told the guy like the third time he came over, I was like, oh, I'm just having women problems. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, it, like, didn't, and then didn't like bother me after that. But I got on that plane. I was like, I'm getting home. And I was, sick and always on that 18 hour flight the entire time vomiting like uh, like all of it and i was in a middle seat this poor oh, dude no. i had to get up like a million times to go to the bat and they were just so understanding and the uh, the flight attendants were piling blankets on me i was shivering i was mm. in a lot of pain so when i landed miserable worst worst time of my life when i landed i called my girlfriend and she's a doctor and i went straight to her house and she put me on iv um <laughs> antibiotics and like IV just like to get the water back in my system. And then I went home and slept and I woke up and missed my freaking birthday. <laughs> I woke up the next day and I was like, how the hell had 48 hour birthday I missed the whole thing. You wake was, up to a thousand messages. Yeah. <laughs> missed my entire birthday. Oh God. Yeah. I got it on, uh, I was in Udipur on, on Christmas. That's where I got sick. Ugh. And uh, all Boxing Day, the next day, just lying in bed, just uh, three things, three channels on the TV, all of them playing cricket. <laughs> so, that'll put you to sleep, believe me. Yeah, that was a rough one. And I got a good stomach, but that one took me out. And I had a kind of a queasy night in Peru, actually, of all places. I, I had really a pizza in Peru that uh, was a mistake. Well. And I even ate the guinea pig there. It had no like problem. It's not that good. It's not that great. And it's a lot of work yeah, for, for a little um, bit of meat. Not a lot of payoff. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's one I thing th you do once and then, like, yeah, I'm good. I think that from all the traveling I've, I've done since I was little, that I probably have like all kinds of antibodies. And, yeah, right. <laughs> I have things that fight off things in my body that, you know, I've, other than like right now where I'm a little stuffy, I, I really don't get sick. Well, like, I really, I, so I don't know. Um, I, I just feel like, I mean, I take my vitamins and <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. Well, so when people want to see your, uh, your photos and all, all the stuff you've done and maybe they want to sign up for a trip or something, give us all the plugs. Give yeah. us, where can people find you? Yeah. So my website for my travel tourism stuff is lauragreertravel.com. And then my Weddings and events is beautiful day dot photography. And then the hat business again is andianahats.com. But um, Instagram is also Laura Greer Travel. And yeah, we definitely launched trips and we will be doing a trip to Guatemala, another trip to Peru this year. And um, 
the Arctic trip is in the works, but there's still some other ones. Like I've been dying to do Madagascar, which I'd love for you to come in that one oh, too. I've always wanted to go. Um, there. That's I've, a haul. That's a that's yeah, a, that's work to get. It to. is, and, and like you kind of have to be like, well, you might as well do Mozambique while you're there, you know? Because yeah. you might as well go to the Seychelles. Might as well go to yeah. Mauritius. Exactly, um, and you know, there's a lot of fun projects that I'm sort of working on that are in development right now. So like uh, National Geographic wants to do sort of a YouTube tra- uh, travel channel. And um, it's kind of a cool idea. So I, I don't want to like talk about it just yet because we're in development, but um, it's very possible that I could be hosting a show. Well, that would be awesome. Yeah. So um, working on that right now, but there's just so many things like my bucket list gets longer as I go to more places, you know? Of course. It's, yeah. I mean, the more we go, the more we realize how much we haven't seen and everything yeah. else. So what do you think all this has taught you and all the places you've gone. I mean, even since we last spoke, how have you have I changed? changed? How has it changed you and how do you and maybe how you feel about the world and where it's going? Well, when I last talked to you, I was in my 30s still. And I decided when I was 40 that I wanted like each decade sort of has like a theme for me and this theme of this decade was intention, intentional. Which is funny because that word came to me before the intention bands on our hats. Like I think it all kind of <laughs> flowed after that but I remember thinking like okay yeah it's not always about making money and travel and all that and having fun like we could still do all those things but do better and do good so I think wanting to start a social enterprise that has social impact was important to me but also just all of our trips now have some sort of social impact element to it whether you're you know giving back or forced philanthropy where you like build in a price to like sponsor an orphan or whatever into the cost but I find that people are willing to pay for travel and they're willing to pay that extra $500 built into their travel fee to do a good cause. But if you walked up to someone and said, Hey, do you want to donate $500 to this orphan? You're going to, most people are not going to be like, yeah, sign me up. So it's almost like you have to build it in to something really a meaningful experience where then everyone's like, yes, I want to help. So, um, I don't know. All of my travel moving forward has to have some sort of, I I don't have a lot of time, you know, in terms of, free time and when I go on a trip it has to be special and meaningful and with good people and you know I don't want to keep going to the same place over and over and over and doing the same thing so um yeah so I think for me just trying to enjoy and have more purpose is sort of what I've learned but also I really want to um, take advantage of being here in home soil so I even like on this last trip to IMM in New York I met up with the tourism boards of California and different places where like, why don't I explore my own backyard? You know, I'm here. So, um, yeah. And the California tourism is doing a really cool campaign right now. And it's all about play. And they did a whole study of like how play is so important in your life for your psyche, for happiness, for, and so they are really promoting like play while you're traveling. And I love that. So I don't know. It's great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could do this. I'm glad we could do this, and I'm, I'm hope it doesn't take another eight years. Yeah. I'll see you, but I mean, we don't yeah, have to record. Yeah, you're going to see me. Well, yeah. why don't we sit and figure out a trip to, to go on together? Absolutely. Got to bring back Absolutely. Silverback. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Pamela to do the heavy lifting. Oh, my God. Well, she would definitely do Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for doing this. Of course. And good luck with the hats and everything else, and thank continued success. Thank you. Thank you. Laura Greer, everyone. Thank you.